0: Music.
1: Reviews.
2: Chat. Poems. Comedy. Writing. Interviews. ELF-M,
3: it's radio for so much more! Love
1: the nouns. Love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words, from ELFM.
3: So, good
1: afternoon, not evening yet. I'm used to saying good evening because of writing on air. Good afternoon and welcome to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM. This is very exciting because this is the first Love the Words of the new season uh, which starts today and we are the first programme in the new East Leeds FM season starting today and running through till whatever. Uh, Our broadcasting worker Henry has done a fantastic job rationalising all the broadcasts that we do yes a wonderful job indeed and you can find the schedule on the website and look at the variety of work that we've got right across East Leeds FM over the week so in this first live Love the Words it's also very exciting yeah because it's it's the first uh, Love the Words that has been live for a very very long time they've been pre-records and will continue to be to some degree but this is a live show in studio two and I'm delighted to say we have um keith fenton with us keith before he says hello as he's poised to do i will tell you that he uh, is very much involved with the delhi as a broadcaster he's a sports historian and a poet and he's going to be talking to us about his relationship to sport and also about his favorite sports literature because let's call it literature some sports books are literature and we're also going to be hearing some of his favorite sports tracks hello keith
0: hello peter thank you very much for that very flattering welcome. <laughs> um, it, it gave me time to uh, recover from uh, the, the cup of tea that scalded me. Chapel FM spare no expense, as I always say. And I've got me a nice cup of tea and um, it's really hot. Good, so, good. We like uh, a nice hot cup of tea yeah, this weekend. Like
1: nice <laughs> <laughs> um well it's lovely to have you with us on Love the Words and must, sp- On you. this first Love the Words yeah. of the new season. Um so first of all, yeah you've you've you're part of a, a brand new show that it's gonna be part
0: very much part of this season Sports Talk, tell us about Sports Talk Sports Talk um, came out of, well I was with you on the deli, I still am and I uh, I love that and I spoke to Tony last autumn, about a year ago um, about doing a sports show, I knew he was mad about sports, he's American he likes his baseball and his sports writing and all the rest of it and he thought that was a very good idea, I didn't think anything would I didn't think anything would happen but it did happen and in the spring uh, he had uh, uh, assembled a collective of which I was one and um, we got the first show out in May and it was brilliant I thought it was also very very harrowing um, because it dealt with mental health and issues surrounding suicide and mainly male mental health Um, and um we spoke to people i know who were involved uh in those things and um it was it w- it was heroin but we thought it needed to be done so we were glad it especially with the 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 way the um uh, pandemic had been and of course that had fed into a lot of mental health issues
1: i but should also it, say yeah. though keith it was it might have been you know about mental health but it was also i found very cheering and very positive in the way that it looked at how sport and physical exercise yeah. can can take us out of ourselves
0: yes well that, that was really what it was about uh, obviously the, um, <clears throat> the 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 people who had lost their lives we talked about had been involved in sport but sport is also an escape so um, that was something that we felt that we involved in sport could address and it's certainly something that adam Gardner at lads united felt he should address and has done so and we had him on and we had a long interview with him usually the interviews that we do the long ones would go on the website and we'd have edited highlights on the thing but it was so crucial we thought to have the whole discussion so we had the whole thing it was about an hour um and it, probably difficult for some people to listen to uh, there were nice easy bits as well like we had the um, stuff about wild swimming with emily and sophia that was uh, a bit of light relief and they, they were excellent of course as you'd imagine so
1: cold shower in the morning is all cold I can manage but not dipping shower. into uh, no, you no, know no. St Aidan's reservoir at, uh, well. uh, you know in all seasons but no it's a really yeah. interesting program and we've yeah. got you've done another one and that, there's another one coming up on we Saturday. did one in
0: July which yeah. was uh, shortly after the euros we did a bit of a euros roundup, but we also spoke to community people like Tony Mullin at your backyard um, and also we did some cricket stuff um, with um, Hilary O'Callaghan and um, David Alloway at uh, Naresborough. And we began to talk about what we might do with the um, nice bit of ground out there, the cricket uh, green, which doesn't belong to us. But, you know, it's something that I'm eyeing up and thinking that's a community asset which could be used. And Ah, I think that the, I would hope that this program might be able to do something about rallying around support for that
1: well uh, towards the end of the program we'll hear about the third program and what you're planning for that but mm. first of all and before you talk about the first book that you've chosen mm. um yeah what when did you what was what was your first
0: uh sort of uh, introduction to sport as a young person um I, I don't know actually i can't i can't put my finger on a time but what i do know is that uh, when i was very young when i was about four five six seven that age Um, I went to a big, big school that included juniors and seniors. So some of the kids in the playground were 18 and I was four, five. So games of football, which we normally played with a um, a, a taped up tennis ball and things like that on concrete, if we were lucky, um, you'd be lucky to get a touch off anyone. And the result of that was that I didn't really um, excel as a footballer and uh, I went to a, a, a newer school nearby when I was seven, nearly eight. It had just opened, this school, brand new, brand new primary school, 1976 this was. And that uh, long, hot summer, do you remember? <laughs> yeah, so, um, and uh, I played football and I was rubbish. And um, when the uh, summer finished and we came back to school, I found myself being um, back of the, you know, I was the last one picked. And then they got stuck in goal and amazingly... I turned out to be quite good in goal. And that's where my uh, love of football began. I'd started watching it already before that, but I didn't really know how to do it. And once I got got that in my head, so then I became the school goalkeeper. But I was tiny. So I wasn't really... Very imposing goalkeeper, and then I never grew. I'm only five foot ten now, <laughs> so that's not bad. So I ended up, <laughs> but uh, but I, I ended up being a being a striker. Actually, is what I ended up being. I never grew tall enough to be yeah. a commanding yeah. goalkeeper. But I was yeah. quite a good goalkeeper at, at, at that time, if I say so myself. <laughs> and and all my heroes were goalkeepers. You know, you Yashin and Pat Jennings and um, uh, Gordon Banks, and and just they were all you know heroes of mine. Um, and uh, so, and we had Peter Miller at Portsmouth later. You know, he wasn't the best keeper in the world, but I liked him because I was too young to know that he wasn't that great. <laughs> so.
1: What about cricket? Because you, yeah. you still play cricket, I believe. I you, turn, still, you turn a leg spinner over. I
0: still play football as well. Ah, yeah. Um, yeah. There are people listening, I'm sure, would say, yeah, not that well, Keith. No, I, I think I do all right. Um, yeah, I still play cricket. Um, I didn't really... I played cricket down the park and in the street as a kid, but I didn't play for any teams, I didn't play for the school team or anything like that, I didn't really um, follow it on the telly that much either, and it wasn't until um, the late 80s, um, I was about 21 then, and um, I got shingles, Mm -hmm. I got shingles, and my mum said you'll have to self-isolate, and that's quite prescient isn't it, so I I had to go and stay at my mum's for several weeks, and it was right during the Ashes series, England got Thrashed in this actually series, but I found myself. It was the only thing on the telly, there were only three or four um, channels in those days, and two of them didn't get going till dinner time. So, Mm
4: -hmm.
0: you know, I'd be watching the cricket, and then I'd go make a cup of tea, and then I'd find myself rushing back. Um, So, I realized I do like cricket. Why didn't I get into it when I was a kid? Mm. Uh, I was too busy playing football, I think that's what it was. Well, let's
1: let's let's move on to books because, after all, this is love the words. This mm-hmm. is a this is a program about about language, about words, about yep. literature. I I mean, I, I as a kid, I was mad on cricket, and I still have some of those those cricket books. Yep. Although most of them, I think, yep. would probably not qualify as. <laughs> Literature. I'm talking no. about like the, the uh, I don't know the autobiography of MJK MJK Smith. Or, yeah, you know, yeah, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, but but yeah. That some obviously are so. And you've mm. chosen three or four books that you want to talk about. So first of all, tell us what's tell us about
0: the first one. Uh, well, since we've just mentioned cricket, I think then uh, the first one I think is one of the greatest sports books of all time, and that is uh, CLR James, um, and Beyond the Boundary. Absolutely, um, but for people who don't know, I mean,
1: obviously, it's it's, it's kind of a, it's a it's, a, it's a, you know iconic amongst cricket, yeah. but obviously beyond that too. And but uh, in terms of just just history, and I yeah. know that you like your history, yeah. but but for people who don't know anything about this book, and you really wanted
0: to recommend it to them, what how what, how would you describe it? Well, firstly, it would depend who they were. If they were into cricket, then it would be very easy to sell. If they're not. And if they're not, well, then I'd, I'd ask, are they interested in history? Because it more or less tells the story of the 20th century from a West Indian perspective. Mm. Um, and it it's, um, deconstructs, because he was an academic, CLR James, and he was a, he was a historian before. He, you know, he was a sports person, but he was a historian um, and a Marxist. Um, before that became unfashionable <laughs> so he, he deconstructed the uh, colonial period um, and uh, so he, he grew up of course at a time when, when it was all you know the empire the British empire he felt British as he was growing up in Trinidad he, he felt I'm a British person um, even though he'd never been to Britain until he was an adult um, but he was able to uh, put into perspective uh, the West Indian experience through cricket because cricket probably more than anything brought the West Indies and all of its small islands out into the wider world as, as some kind of achievement, some kind of force. And um, they had great players and, and um, he had a great time growing up in a, in a period when you know people were picking up cricket bats and you know and it, it, you know, in in, in it, on these paradise islands of course they hadn't always been paradise islands they were places of great horror and barbarism mm-hmm. so um he he straddles those two eras you know slavery had only been abolished you know uh, less than a century before mm-hmm. he was born um and the marks of it the scars of it were everywhere but they found a way out through cricket and his his book will show you that probably better than any book well that's interesting isn't it so i mean that leads us
1: to a question i suppose which yeah. is does a great sports book have to be about more than the particular sport do you have to know about cricket for instance to read that book and to get something from it No, by the
0: sound of it not no no you don't in fact i know people who don't know anything about cricket and have read it mm. um and in fact he he speaks in the Ford. i mean it's a long time since i've read the book so a lot you know i'm going off the top of my head but um, Rudyard Kipling said what do they know of England who only England know yeah. and CLR James asked the same question about cricket so what do they know of cricket who only cricket know and that was his thing and it was much quoted to the extent that people forgot that Kipling ever said that in the first place so yeah. a lot of people said oh that's a CLR James quote and uh, you, you know there, there was a, a great deal of good cricket writing in the 20th century it was him and Cardus and um, there were Absolutely. lots of people writing well um, in cricket. and uh, But his uh, perspective was um, really, really important. Mm. And it tells us something about the, cent- the whole century, really.
1: Well, that's that's a great uh, recommendation. I mm. wholeheartedly agree with that. And yeah. it's a great book, Beyond the Boundary, by C.L.R. James. And it's also very poetically and lyrically written. It's be- he's a beautiful writer.
0: He, he had many strings to his bow, one of which he he could have been um, a writer just as a writer. You know, He could have been just a historian academic, or he could have been uh, um, a wayward professional cricketer, maybe just. He did play first-class cricket, but then he fell away a bit. But Mm -hmm. he he had various things he was good at, and he indulged them all. I wish I could have done the same thing. (laughs) uh, Yeah.
1: Well, we're going to hear your first piece of music uh, in a minute, which okay. is The Galway Races. Well, right. You can tell us about that in a minute. But before that, I just wanted to mention, in the in the same breath as uh, C.L.R. James Neville Cardis, as you yep. did, yep. Glancingly, and I really enjoyed a biography of him recently by the Harrogate writer whose name I've forgotten, but Cardis was a, famously a classical music critic <laughs> during yeah. the winter, yeah. Yeah. and then he was a, a cr- cricket... Critic, I always find it yeah. hard to say these things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, during the summer, I just, thought, I, I remember thinking that's just a perfect job. Perfect job, just, yeah. To be a music critic in this yeah. winter and then do that in the summer. Totally
0: wonderful. Tell yeah. us about your first track then, uh, Galway Races. Uh, well, Galway Races, I'm. Uh, my family's all from Ireland and um, the, as far as we were concerned, the head of the family in terms of my mum's side uh, was her older brother, Joe, and he... Um, died on uh, New Year's Eve uh, last year and uh, so it's obviously not a very good time to it to happen during the COVID era he was 80 so he had uh, um, an innings but um, you know it'd be nice to have had him a bit longer but he was a bloodstock breeder and when we were small um, bearing in mind I came from South East London so you know this rural world was very different to me and um, we used to go to his stables and um, we used to muck the horses out, and you know with his with his sons who were of, of an age with me. They were slightly younger, and uh, obviously they were born to it, whereas I was coming in, you know, from the side. And um, he also used to take us down to the to the races, uh, usually at Fairy House, uh, races, which is quite an important um, race course in Ireland, uh, not far from Navan, which is where uh, my family were from on that side. Um, he. Dad's side from the Midlands in Ireland. And um, we would sometimes see the horses that we'd seen in the stables mm-hmm. that week or, or sometimes we'd see them the following week. And uh, we also used to go and put bets on and things like that. Now, Galway Races is a um, is a brilliant song by the uh, Dubliners. It wasn't like my um, recollection of going to the races because we used to drive up in his car and when we'd go in, um, we'd put our few illicit bets on couple of shillings you know five ten p um, and uh, we'd have some chocolate get sick later and that, that's basically how the day would go but the Galway races gives a much more romanticized and much earlier uh, version of what it's like going to the races in Ireland and for many people that really was the experience and it was what I always wished it was every time I went so that's why I picked it
1: let's hear it now
2: Galway town to seek for recreation On the 17th of August we might be elevated There were multitudes assembled with their tickets at the station And the eyes began to dazzle And they go on to see the races Timmy whack, for the do for the dinnery I'd lay Passengers from Limerick and passengers from Nina, passengers from Dublin and fours from From Tipperary. There were passengers from Kerry and all quarters of the nation, and our member Mister Hardy fought to join the Galway Blazers. Timmy Wack, Baldado, Baldado, Idle There were multitudes from Aran and members from New Quay, sure, the boys of Connemara and the Clare and maidens. People from Cork City who were loyal, true and faithful, they brought home the Fenian prisoners from dying in foreign nations to me whack, fall to do, fall to dinnery, i lay. And this there you see confectioners with sugar sticks and dainties, the lozenges and oranges, the lemonade and raisins. Gingerbread and spices to accommodate the ladies And the big crew being froth rub and stiffy suck And while well you're able to me whack polder to do Paul de do 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 You'll see the gamblers, the timbles and the garters And the sporting wheel of fortune with the four and twenty quarters There was others without scruple pelting What was that for Maggie? And our daddy well contented to be gawking at his daughter timmy whack the fall-de-do, the idle day. And it's there you'll see the pipers and the fiddlers competing The nimble for the dancers and the trippin' and the daisies
1: so that was Galway Races by the Dubliners chosen by our guest on Love the Words this afternoon, Keith Fenton, talking about sports, his relationship to sport, which is a very passionate relationship, it I is. would say, and also about sports music, but also importantly sports literature so yes and you're talking about the races i, I only recently got into racing and I, we we now go to the Ripon races like oh, right, every yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. every year just and it started as a thing with the kids and i just i'd never been before i so loved it i just love the kind of the seeing those horses up close and the yeah, kind of yeah. the sweat and the sort of viscerality of it the yeah. pounding of the hooves it was one of the most exciting yeah. sports events i've ever been to and i love yeah. going
0: yeah and it's captured in that song as well. Yeah. They they have the the speed of them is and, and the, the 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 tempo you have is of the race itself. That's true actually.
1: Yeah it drives so. along. Keith, you're gonna read us one of your poems, uh sports related. So yeah, <coughs> tell us about it or read it.
0: Yeah, all right. I have read this one last week on the um uh, on the opening, what did we call that? Uh, Henry, the, the thing last week where we opened upstairs.
1: Oh yes, the um, uh, yeah, it was a wonderful <clears throat> event. Still available online. What was it
0: called, Henry? It's called the Big Broadcast. <laughs> the Big Broadcast. The there big I knew. It was. <laughs> 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 Thank <laughs> you, Henry. So anyway, that was on. That was on there. But I shall just read it again. I've got another short one for later. Um, and uh, so this is called Lost Artist in Space. Um, Friday, six forty-six or thereabouts, amidst the noisome shouts of hurtling men at the Football courts, I am pincered, but I look up to see you in space And I pull the right peg to steer, at pass true and firm Which on the turn you gently caress, the striker does the rest Our thirst for a poetic connection there quenched Your raised fist and awkward sideways thumb My vision of you fossilised for I try to catch the air between us and mould it like gum and now I think, if only I knew someone who could draw. Lovely stuff,
1: Keith. Thank you, Keith Fenton, with his first poem. Um, so, Keith, yeah, let's let's have another uh, book that you'd like to yeah. talk about. What would you recommend? I've really given you a hard one to choose maybe three of your favourite or three or four of your favourite sports books. Yeah, well,
0: I've written uh, several down here. Um, there are, I mean, there's, there's quite a few football ones, but um, the... I think maybe we'll go to The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner, which is actually a short story. There was a collection of short stories by Alan Silito, I think in about 1960 or so. Um, And uh, it became a film, of course. Quite a lot of. uh, He was one of the angry young men at the time, and and a lot of those. um, We've got another one, David Story, in here as well, who's kind of sometimes put in that uh, bracket with John Osborne and all the others. And there were a lot of films, made, kitchen sink dramas and what have you. But what I liked about um, this story was it was the story of escape through sport. But I wasn't really much of a runner at school. I, I Football was my thing and that was what I did. But I did do running. And unlike now when football is uh, and cricket are both forms of meditation for me, I can get away from things. When I was that age it didn't it didn't feel like that. I always felt like I was having to compete with people more. But running I wasn't much good at, but I could do it, if you know, so I could I could run for miles. And mm-hmm. I did run for miles and um, not particularly fast. Uh, but I could I found I could lose myself in it. And it was an escape from what I saw as a an oppressive system, I guess. And I think that's exactly what Silato's saying. But of course in Silato's story he's actually in a borstal mm-hmm. and he... They encourage him with his running, and they put him up against. Um, it's a, again, it's a long time since I've read it. so I'm going off the top mm-hmm. of my head, but he, they go up against a posh school, you know, I local, and, yeah. and he he runs and he, he he's winning the race easily and he gets to the end. And when I was a kid, you know, reading it, and and then there was the film as well. You thinking just just go on and win. Mm. What's wrong with you? But he stops. Yeah, he deliberately stops. Mm. And lets everyone go past him. Mm. And he doesn't win. And I couldn't understand that because I was a child. I didn't understand the complexity of the the arrangement in someone's head that would make them. It was only as I got older I started to understand it. So, um, But then I also started to put it, I could see it happening in real life. So mm. the 1974 World Cup, um, there was a famous incident where a Zairean footballer called Umwepulunga, I think. He died about five or six years ago. Anyway, he was in the defensive wall for a Brazilian free kick and the whistle went. And instead of waiting for the free kick to be taken, he ran out and kicked the ball away and was booked. And the commentators all said, oh, look at this, you know, the naivety of African football because they'd not seen... A team like Zaire, they were only the second Africa or third African team to have been in the World Cup. And they were from sub-Saharan Africa as well, which made them different. And and people just were very patronising towards them. And what they didn't know was that the full story to that was much more complex. Um, He was actually trying to get himself sent off. And the reason he was doing that was because he had great resentment of the officials of the Zairean FA who were up in the stand watching. And there were great rifts through that team through that whole squad to do with money and to do with all sorts of things, but behind it all was um the dictator Moboto do you remember Moboto? Yeah. he was a he was a very very nasty piece of work, and he was behind it all and the um there was a lot of corruption going on, and um a, a lot of rifts a lot of people were very defiant, a lot of people were frightened for their lives at the same time, so there was this thing. Kicking against, I'd say it was a rift. It was more like a series of like a like if you drop a a load of um, glassware on the floor and it all smashes into bits. It was more like that than a rift. And um, yeah. so people still talk about it as if oh the silly bugger came out and kicked the ball, but it wasn't like that. It was more like the, lo- the long distance runner mm. who lets everyone. So again, past. yeah, that's that. Although it's
1: about sport, ostensibly the, yeah. the that that uh, that story, the loneliness, of the long distance runner, the actual. What it's saying about class and and mm. the the way that society is rigged and he doesn't want yeah. to have anything to do with it no. that's his gesture of now well, that's, that's his, how he gets out it's renunciation i think yeah. it's, a, it's it's yeah. it's about so much more than that isn't yeah. it it really is, it is much more than sport yeah. and yet it's also about the 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 way that sport can take us as you say out of our everyday lives mm. i also love the way that sport when you're actually playing something you're in in. You have to be in the moment, don't you? Yeah. And I think that's what we mean by losing ourselves. That yeah. you know, you lose yourself in writing. You lose yourself in sport. Those activities that may, you, you can't be anywhere yeah. else but in that present yeah. moment. And I think that's what's yeah. wonderful about sport.
0: Well, it's, it's like I think sport itself is like a piece of literature or music or art that you can't write. You, you can try and yeah. write. You can write, but it, you can't do it because something will happen that which will change the script, and um, you, you'll go on that pitch or we're at court or whatever thinking something's gonna happen might not and, yeah. and, and it's every, every time you go on the same thing is true
1: and it can change in a moment yeah, because can, of the it's all about mental mentality isn't it yeah. and do you know the, the team that's like you know 300 yeah. ahead in the test yeah. match loses a few wickets. <laughs> yeah. and um, yeah
0: but also great heroes great changes. people we think of as gods suddenly show their humanity and do something wrong yeah. Yeah, 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 and yeah. things like that, or someone who we've always thought of as ju- a trundler, you know, a journeyman, suddenly does something brilliant yeah, <laughs> and yeah, then yeah, that, that changes it as well. So, yeah. there's always things like there's so much to sp- obviously. This uh, James, for example, says that it, sh- it belongs with opera and ballet and all these things as, as you know, cricket does. He's mm. talking about so much, but Hopcraft, stuff. who we'll be coming to later, says the same about football and he says it just has just as much. <laughs> importance to us as any other cultural aspect of, of our lives. Um, so we're going to, I'm just making
1: sure that we do have some later because we could yeah, go on for a while, yeah, but we could, we yeah, we've yeah, got yeah, another yeah, show coming good. on at five. Looking forward to that. Yep. But um, yes, yeah, so another track, if you could introduce it um, fairly briefly, Keith.
0: Yes. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, this is a cricket one. And um, you'll remember, I'm sure, 28 years ago um, in 1993, Shane Warne, oh, 28 uh, years I know who's uh, he's a year younger than me, actually, so he, again, he's of an age, and I'd never seen him play before. His figures as a Test match bowler were not particularly special. He was 23, 24 nearly, I think, at the time. And um, Alan Border, the Australian captain, held him back and um, then brought him out to bowl against um, Mike Gattin, who hadn't been in long. And I was watching on the television in South East London. Um, I had a day off. And I watched what happened next, and I still still can't believe it happened. Um, I, it, it, it was perfection. The, the ball just drifted away like this, to, uh, away from leg down leg, and suddenly ripped back up the other way. And what made it even better was that Mike Gatting didn't do anything wrong. Mm. He did pretty much exactly what you should do, In those circumstances, which no other England player really grasped, apart from Graham Gooch and John Embry, who was a bowler himself but knew about batting against spin, because this type of spin had gone out of fashion. And the Divine Comedy, Neil Hannon and those, the other chap, um, did a (laughs) uh, did a wonderful spoof of it, um, because of course, poor old Mike Gatting. I mean, it wasn't his fault, and in fact, he batted very well against Shane Warne. After that, I saw him do it at Lords. Um, but he was made to look so stupid And the fact that he he, he's, he looked a bit like Henry VIII And had that kind of pompous look about him He hasn't really, I've met him since He's actually nothing like that He's, he's a very nice chap But he just looked so daft And he was shaking his head He couldn't believe what had happened And the, this song just it, it encapsulates all that perfectly
4: T'was the first test of the Ashes series 1993 Australia had only managed 289, and we felt all was going to plan that first innings at Old Trafford. Then Merviews and his handlebar mustache dismissed poor Athers. I took the crease to great applause and focused on me dinner. I knew that I had little cause to fear their young leg spinner. He loosened up his shoulders, and with no run up at all, he rolled his right arm over and he let go of the ball. It was jiggery-pokery, trickery-jokery, how did he open me up? Robbery-muggery, Aussie-skullduggery, out for a buggering duck. What a delivery! I might as well have been holding a contrabassoon. Jiggery-pokery, who is this nobody making me look a buffoon? Like a blithering old buffoon. At first the ball looked straight enough, I had it in my sights, But such was its rotation, that it swerved out to the right. I thought, well that's a leg break that's easily defended. So I stuck my left leg out and jammed my bat against it. But the ball it span obscenely and out of the rough it jumped, veered back across my batten pad, clipping my off stump. It took a while to hit me, I momentarily lingered, but then I saw Old Dickie Bird slowly raise his finger. It was jiggery pokery, trickery juggery. How did he open me up? Robbery muggery, Aussie skullduggery, out for a buggering duck. What a delivery! I might as well have been holding a child's balloon. Jiggery pokery, who is this nobody making me look a buffoon? Like an accident, boom, 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 boom,
1: So. Jiggery Pokery by... But they didn't call themselves the Divine Comedy. They called themselves something else, didn't they, for that particular project? But
0: oh, they may have done, yeah. I yeah. don't oh, really pay much attention, that sort of thing. As no, far well, I was th- concerned, it was the Divine Comedy. But um,
1: Good band, anyway, yeah. and, uh, oh, can, and a lovely they song. Call themselves, they call themselves... Duckworth and Lewis. Duckworth Lewis <laughs> method, of course. <laughs> Thank it was you, it. Henry. Duckworth Lewis method. That's it. Yeah. Duckworth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that. Anyway, look, thanks very much, Keith, for for uh, for for choosing these tracks and mm. for and also this these wonderful books. We're going to hear about another. Well, first of all, let's hear a poem from you. All
0: right. Yeah. Okay. This is uh, a very short one. You'll be glad to know. <laughs> it's called um, It's called Flat. <clears throat> and it goes like this. I'm not flat like the Saturday turf, more flat like the only ball in the street, so flat that when they tell me there's a game, it pushes the air out of me in a second. A game of two halves, half hunched, half flopped, a whistle stopped through every vulnerable spot in my mind, tackling idle time and leaving only the scuffed, tough, outer casing. Mmm.
1: Nice. Sport and life. Sport and life. Let's so talk uh, about. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about life and sport, what's mm. the what's the next what's the next book? The next the next book.
0: Uh <coughs> well I've got two here. I I think since we just had this sport in life, then maybe we should go to another one which is quite well, we had the loneliness of the long distance Runner. I beg your pardon. Yeah. Yes, we had the loneliness yeah. of the long distance runner, so now we'll have this sport in life. Uh which is obviously uh, the other thing to recommend it is it's local. Wakefield. Mm-hmm. It's local-ish. Uh, a lot of the um, scenes in the film of the book, which other people remember, were filmed um, over Woodhouse Way, a you know, Servia Lane, all around there behind the university. So, so there is a, definitely a Leeds connection um, with it. It would have looked very different then, of course, 60 years ago. Um, but the book um, was written by a proper writer <laughs> called uh, David Storey. And um, it's a good name you're going to be a writer, Storey. I was thinking. Absolutely.
1: Um, Tell us a b- what it's about, and and just briefly, yeah, just just describe the, the contours a, of it.
0: Our hero or our anti-hero, as so many were in that angry young man era. But I think um, David Story A lot of people on David Story's behalf felt a little bit resentful that he was lumped in with all that because his film was slightly more, um, it it, it was slightly less obviously aggressive and hostile outwardly inwardly it was certainly because he's a very aggressive um, anti-hero he, he was a very dirty player he was a very physical player he was also a very good player uh, but he was expendable he was a professional rugby league player in those days of course in them days they played on proper muddy pitches and got very you know dirty whereas nowadays they play on things that look like snooker tables you know and they um, <clears throat> and they're all the same size you know they all look like robocop but in those days it was you know it was it was much more of a um, a bloody mess, you know, all across the field. And um, he, uh, like a lot of rugby league players, he loses his teeth. That's one big part of it. You know, that's, that attacks his looks, you know. And he, he's a good-looking young man. Um, in the film, it's played by Richard Harris, of course. Um, and uh, the, he, and the, the two go one into another for me. I read the book when I was about 15 or 16. I've seen the film many times since, so I sometimes get mixed up. With scenes, it's not exactly faithful to the book. But um, essentially, he uh, falls, um, sort of falls for his landlady who's been widowed. And um, he. it's not really that he falls for her, it's It's more that he kind of forces himself on her and then falls for her. And it's a, a very, very tortuous and complex story. And it's told through the lens of, of his expendability. And his um, irrelevance mm. to any other um, to anything else in the world other than the one thing he's paid to do, and then he'll be spat out, which he is, um, because at the end of the of the book and at the end of the film, he's playing, he's back playing, he's back on the pitch. Uh, she's she's died by then, and um, there's no spoiler. It's not um you know <laughs> it's not who done it or anything, um and uh, but you can see that when he when he writes it, you, it's the the powers are fading already, and it's been sucked out of him. And um, the whole—it's not just that rugby league club is doing that, or not just the sport. It's life yeah. and class and everything. The whole oppressive nature of it is sucking everything out of him. He's never been able to love anyone. He's never been loved by anyone. And that's that's where it—that's where that story goes. And it's a wonderful vehicle for it. So mm, um, I think sport is pretty much a good vehicle for any story because every time you have a sporting uh, event or season or anything it, it's um, it, it, it's a story I think it's also interesting
1: how sport ties in with identity and yeah. our, our sense of ourselves mm. how that when you're Good at something. Yeah. I mean, this obviously translates to other things too, not just sport. Which is yeah. why sport is a good metaphor yeah. for, for this. But it, you know, when you are very good at something like mm. sport, and it's your whole life, you become identified with it as yep. a person. It's you, whether you succeed or fail mm. at it. Is and it is and then basically says. Am I a good person or a bad person? Yeah. You know, is my whole life rubbish if I do badly on that particular Saturday? Mm-hmm. So I think you know, sport and identity—the way that an obsession become can become us, but also how it's not us. I think no. he had Bjorn Borg, for instance, you know, and his yeah. struggles after yeah. you know five or six World uh, Wimbledon uh, wins, and then you yeah. know, he was only 26, 27 when yeah. he finished. And okay. you know, how do you live with that?
0: Suicide attempts after that? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And uh, you think you got everything. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. sport, I think sport does take it out of you. Obviously, our it takes us back to our first sport show, which talks about sport and mental health. It's a complex relationship those two have. So mm. sport does, especially professional sport, really takes it out of a lot of people. Mm. It's uh, it's a, th- a lot of people look at professional sport and think, oh, they see the glamour and all the rest of it. But for many people, even people who are very well paid, it's not as glamorous as you might think. Um, yeah. When you get under it, and and it's it's uh, even the very you know millionaire footballers, a lot of them extremely unhappy. Um, well, you only have to think about the reports coming out recently
1: about you know women
0: and gymnastics and yeah, the whole well. training
1: teams yeah. around that and that kind of awful sort of grooming that goes on there. Mm. Uh, in some cases, not on all, though, obviously. Yeah. but it's yeah. yeah the way that sport yeah
0: from but, a very early age. But we, I suppose, on our shows, we like to concentrate on how sport can be the way out as well. Yeah, and um, so. Absolutely. And both those obviously have, uh, yeah, um, yeah. So, um, well, I, I guess we're going. Are we going on to the last?
1: We let's let's have the last Please. book and I'll have one more poem, and then we'll have the last track, and you can introduce it. Yeah, great.
0: Okay. Well, there was lots of there were lots of books I kind of put down underneath, like under under this one, for example. I mentioned. Keith Dewhurst, Underdogs, which is about early football, uh, had a Never mass- heard of massive, that massive effect yeah, on, yeah. on me and helped me understand the area that my dad lived and died in towards the end of his life right. in Lancashire, a place that all the Lads United people know well. Yeah. Um, and also um, Bert Troutman, um, the German goalkeeper who came to England, he was a prisoner of war, right? born in 1923, his story is the story of the century. So, there are two books about him Troutman, the biography by Alan Rollins. One is Troutman's Journey by Katrine Clay. It's also called From Hitler Youth to FA Cup Legend. And there's also this one I brought in, Walter Tull. This is by Phil Vasily. I've been in touch with Phil um, this year, about six months ago, about uh, maybe inviting him onto the show. Hopefully he'll. So, he'll tell be us about, sorry, to do I didn't that. catch that in the name That's, of the book. That's uh, Walter Tull. He was. Um, he was a footballer before the First World War. Right. He was born in 1888. His father was from uh, Barbados, and um, he was one of the early... There were very few uh, black or mixed-race players in those early days, but he was one of them. And he was also the first black British officer that anyone knows about in the British Army. And he was killed in um, uh, Passchendaele in 1918, just before his 30th birthday. So, uh, But his story tells the story of... Early football, the First World War—it's so much of history, not just him, mm. but it—it it, it tells us something about the world. And he he, he lived in a, in parts of the world which I know, and so did his brother. His brother moved up to Glasgow, and I could imagine them. But also, if you haven't read the book, so if you haven't—if you don't know the story, you could read the story. And even if you haven't been to those places, you could still imagine um, that the history of those times is really good. And, and the Troutman thing was the same. Same sounds thing. fantastic. Tells the story of the century, really, and and uh, so um, they they were ones, and also there was the Don Bradman autobiography, which also similarly does that. Not a great work of literature, but a really interesting thing to read. But the final book is by Arthur Hopcroft, and um, it's called The Football Man. Mm-hmm. Now he was uh, he he was a, a literary critic, and you know he he again like Neville Cardus, he wasn't. Um, specifically a sports writer but he did write he was a sports writer for the observer for many years I think Um and uh, he wrote this book in 1968 which is the year I was born mm-hmm. so I didn't get it when it came out obviously I wouldn't have been able to lift it but um I, <laughs> I, um, I came to it probably when I was about 20 odd mm. Um I think there was it might have been a reprint around about that time and I, it came to my attention. And I, I hadn't seen it. I'd, I'd read a lot of uh, football books in my youth, but very few that I would call literature at that time. They were more books of records and, and things that had happened and, and it filled this... So I had a good um, understanding of what had happened and when, but not why mm. and not what that might have looked like. And Arthur Hotcraft's book um, probably showed more than any book that I'd ever read or since. What football, post-war football, 50s and 60s, um, he is writing at a time when people like George Best, for example, there's a George Best interview in there. Mm. George Best would have been 21, 22 at the time. And he was considered to be such a colourful, charismatic and high-living sort of person, a superstar. Um, And, of course, he was a lot better paid than they had been you know, mm. players that mm. like him would have been ten years before, but a pauper compared to today's yeah. footballers. When I mean, you consider how good he was, he was one of the best players in the world. Um, but it was very, it, it really interesting to see that written by someone at the time who remembered what came before, mm. and that contrast between that grey fifties and that lovely colourful sixties scene mm. um, in in football and that. Best just happened to step into that, step onto the stage just when it was lit up. I guess was the others, you know, uh, were a little bit more obscured, you know, dark, gloomy theatre. So obviously the players before had careers that glittered as well in their own way, but you had to imagine that glitter. Now it was all sprinkled over everything. Great. So that was um, that was good. And uh, there's a couple of um, I'll just quote a couple of bits here. Okay. uh, Just quickly because we've got where we caught to. Um, football is not a phenomenon it is an everyday matter there is more eccentricity in deliberately disregarding it than in devoting a life to it <laughs> <laughs> it has more significance to the national character than theatre has now all of that is arguable but it's an interesting point I mean, yeah, everyone would agree with that I of mean, course yeah. um, and uh, there's, the other thing he says here is what happens on the football field matters not in the way that food matters but as poetry does to some people and alcohol does to others <laughs> lovely <laughs> it, oh, engages the, it engages the person so there's yeah so there's and and, and also the, the the last bit there it was about it's not just a sport that people take to it's part of the national psyche that was what he said mm. about mm. it but he also described with great color the lives of a lot of the people at the time and it's a wonderful record as well as a great work of literature so i would recommend it highly to anyone who likes their football. Their history and likes to see good writing. Arthur Hopcraft. Arthur Hopcraft.
1: Yeah, and the, it's called the Football Man. Yes, great, yes. brilliant. So, Keith, we're 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 coming to the end yes. of Love the Steadless. Words. It's live yeah. Love the Words today. The first in the the season of uh, our East Leeds FM new yeah. season. So, um, yeah, briefly before we go, yeah, yeah, thanks ever so much for coming Thank on, you for talking to us, right it's it's a real privilege, and you. exploring. Uh, well, with us, the, your, your love of of sport in general, but particularly yeah. uh, literature as well, related to sport. Um, the final song. Uh, tell us about that. It's it's called Bendigo, and I think it relates to the next sports talk episode.
0: It does, and um, yeah, it, it's it's by someone called Matt Hill, and um, Matt Hill, uh, I think he's based in the Peak District somewhere, from what I can make out. Um, I didn't know anything about him until uh, a few months ago and serendipitously I came across this song and I thought, oh, brilliant. You know, this is, I thought, for our boxing show, this would be perfect. And it's about um, a boxer whom I was going to talk about anyway on the show. I was only going to mention him in passing, but now I've heard this song, which was only... I think it only came out last year, but I only became aware of it a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's about... Um, A boxer from the pre-gloves era, you know, Mm. the bare knuckle. Uh, He was his heyday would have been the late 1830s. Mm. So, and uh, he was still around after the Queensbury rules in the 1860s and all that. Um, But he'd stopped boxing by then. But he was still a great personality, and also a bit of a a comic character. He became Mm. Um, the city of um, of uh, Bendigo in Australia is indirectly linked to his uh, to his existence. Um, and uh, his name was William Abednego Thompson, and his um, fighting stance was he he bent a lot. He had a a strange stance, and because of that, people called him Bendy and Bendy, Abednego, it became Bendigo. That's where it came from. And Matt Hill, uh, I'd love to have him on the show one day because he's fantastic. If you listen to him, I've not heard him before, but he's a fantastic singer-songwriter. bit like Tom T. Hall, you know, Tom, he died recently. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of thing, but sort of modern... Um, American style, okay, and um, this is about Bendigo, and it's based, I think, on um, a poem by Arthur Conan Doyle.
1: Thanks ever so much, Keith. We've got yep. Matt Hill with Bendigo.
0: You Never heard of Bendigo?
3: You should have seen him peel. Half of him was whalebone, half of him was steel. His fighting weight 10 He was five foot nine in height. Always ready to blind. If you want to fight, well he became a Methodist. He said he felt the call, so he'd stop the country preaching. You can bet he'd fill the hall. If you'd seen him in the pulpit, bleating like a lamb, you'd never know where it was to go the pride of Nottingham. His hat was like a funeral, he wore a waiter's coat with a hallelujah collar to choke around his throat. His friends would laugh and saying just, hey Bendigo, you're right, taking on the devil. You have no bugger else to fight? But the devil, he was waiting and in the final bout hit him hard. God not knocked Bendy down I'll tell you how it happened He was preaching down in Brum Built like a circus You should have seen the people come from the chapel it was crowded In the front row Half a dozen bruises With a grudge for Bendy gold There was Jack Platt from Bradford Solly Jones from Perry Barr from the boring Franklin by guitar Jack Bull the fighting gunsmith Joe Murphy from the muse Nicky Moss the betting press The champion of the Jews We he heard them goading him Hey Bendy let us know How much did he pay For this Trump to glory show Come on Ben you let the ring It was mighty sly of you We all know the truth is That the ring was leaving was like the devil himself had spoken it was the final bout those words hit him hard and low and not Benny. out yeah. well Bendigo said lord since i left my sinful way to you, me duck, I've given up my days Now, Lord, and here he laid his Bible on the shelf I'll take with your permission Just five minutes for myself And then he bolted from the pulpit Like a tiger from a den They say it was a lovely sight To see and floor those men Right and left, left and right Straight and true and hard Till the Ebenezer Chapel Black was lying on his back and looking at his toes. Solomon Jones and Perry Bar was feeling for his nose. Kind of from the bull ring, it was all that he could do. Just look around and find his teeth little lay around the Fighting gunsmith, he was in a peaceful sleep Joe Murphy lay across him and tied him in a heap. When the five of them was lying in a tangle on the floor The Mickey Moss, the Betty Moss and sprinted for the door Cause Bendigo was waiting This was the final bout Bendigo hit him hard and low That's the way that Bendy ran his mission in the slum. Preached the holy gospel to the fighting men of brum When it came to fighting for the Lord, there was no stopping him. He's bare knuckle Bendigo, the pride of Nottingham.